0: Hi and welcome to the Canadian PodCow. I'm Andrew Campbell.
1: And I'm Sarah Sash. We have a very special episode for you today. In fact, we have a series of very special episodes.
0: Well, special is right because Sarah, um, along with the entire team, we're actually live and in person for the first time for the Canadian podcast that we're all together uh, live at Dairy Farmers of Canada's annual policy conference uh, here in Ottawa. It's it's a great day to not only actually meet each other, but meet with farmers from across the country.
1: Yeah, we finally assembled the podcast news team here in Ontario. So that's pretty wonderful. Um, Great to see you in 3D. You're definitely taller than I was expecting. So there's that, (laughs) the joys of Zoom.
0: Well, I, I just usually have a short chair, so it makes me look <laughs> short online. Now that we're judging the furnishings yeah. of your office. <laughs> well, but I think it's one of those where, you know, it's nice to actually be able to get back at these. And, you know, I think we've had some really great conversations. We've heard some from some really great speakers that it's going to be exciting to be able to bring some of these to everybody else in the country over the next few weeks.
1: Yeah, I'm noticing that it's great that everybody's been super intent in the sessions and additionally super social when they get out of the room. Everybody's just obviously so happy to be together again and has so much to talk about so.
0: Yeah, although I am I am getting a feeling of being judged when I come back from the break session with a plate full of cheese that somehow people think I'm sharing but I'm not. Like, why, why are we judging my cheese consumption, Sarah? There's no
1: judgment of cheese consumption other than to view it very positively here, Andrew.
0: Well, it's the right crowd.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So that said, we had an excellent presentation this morning. And uh, for this episode, we're actually very fortunate to get to have the speaker from the session here with us. So we'll be discussing the global dairy market outlook. And our guest will bring us an international perspective as he comes to us straight from Germany via the DFC Policy Conference.
0: That's coming up next on the Canadian Podcast.
1: Our guest for this episode is the CEO of the International Farm Comparison Network. He has a master's degree in agricultural economics from the University of Göttingen, where his thesis was about structure and competition in the international trade of breeding cattle. He then received a PhD in agricultural economics at Göttingen also, in a combination with Texas A&M University. In 2005, he founded the International Farm Comparison Network. Torsten Hemer, welcome to the Canadian podcast.
0: Thank you. Now, uh, I'm going to kind of get started because the presentation you gave today was something that I love seeing. I love seeing that big picture of what the global perspective. I think it's so important to be able to see that, to be able to make decisions you know, locally or domestically here in Canada. Um, what I actually want to do is, is take one step back and, and maybe just introduce Canadian dairy farmers who may not be uh, as familiar with your organization as some of the ones in the room. Like, Could you talk a little bit about what it is, what you're trying to do globally?
2: Okay, I started the IFCN network about uh, 23 years ago to create a better understanding of the global dairy world. Similar like national geographic, but for them. So that's what we, my organization is trying to do the last 23 years. And with this knowledge, uh, help farmers, processors, governments to, to find their strategy and their next steps uh, to win the future, in the future.
1: So how did you come up with the idea to create an organization like this? What was it that really drove you to doing that? Well, I have a passion for farming and I had a passion for traveling <laughs> and when
2: I was traveling I was working on dairy farms but I could not compare them and I looked into numbers I couldn't compare them and I thought there must be a way of making dairy farm systems better understandable comparable converting units cost elements, and better understandable.
1: How all really helpful info
0: that's for sure Mm-hmm. And and before we get into some of the data, the one other thing that kind of makes me curious is, like, who, who is involved with this organization? Um, you know, like, I, I know you mentioned Dairy Farmers of Canada being part of that. Like, who, who is involved? Where where do you get some of this funding? And, and what kind of services are you offering to those, uh, you know, financial partners? Well, and I think this is
2: my PhD, my public funding was running out, and I thought, this idea is so great, and there must be public organizations supporting it. <laughs> so then I, but I met nice people from Dairy Farmers of Canada, and I said, look, wouldn't it be interesting for you to benchmark Canadian Poft with others to define your strategy? And they said yes. So they can Dairy Farmers of Canada is a partner, Then a company like Nestle is a partner, or. Uh, sometimes it's a single researcher in Ethiopia who writes a master thesis, and he said, "I need some data," uh, and you find a willing level with everyone who's interested in the bigger picture.
1: So that was a question that I had. How are you? I mean, we look in Canada at how difficult it is to compare dairy to dairy across the country, looking at all the geographical variation we have and whatnot. How are you doing that at an international level? It's almost impossible. When I started this idea,
2: everyone said, course, you're stupid. <laughs> we have 120 million dairy farms in the world, and every world is unique, and no one is what like yeah. So, but it's, you know, and what we do is something similar, right, if we create a map, we'll do a map on a scale of 1 to 1,000, 1 to 10,000, 1 to 100,000. The other researchers try to create a map analyze every farm and, and draw conclusion, But this map of one world, world is as useless and great as accept. So the trick we apply is we use the concept of representative farms, find two, three farm types per country, collect data, analyze them, and draw conclusions from them. Simplification, mapping, scale.
0: Now, you mentioned 120 million dairy farms in the world. The number that blew me away is the average herd size globally is three cows per farm. Three per farm with an average of, what was it, seven and a half kilos? Per cow per day, yes. Per cow per day. Like, you know... I think here in Canada, especially being under the shadow, or above the shadow of the United States, we, f- we feel kind of small. You know, we're only at 100 cows per farm, and here we've got, you know, three cows per farm. Can you give me a bit of a perspective globally? You know, what do these farms like look like? Where are the majority of these 120 million farms? Um, you know, and, and just give a picture in terms of where is milk produced?
2: The majority of farms are in developing countries and surprisingly the number of small farms in developing countries is still increasing. Why? It creates value for a person who has an acre of land. And if this farmer does some dairy besides crop on this land he has a higher income. And he has better food for his own family. You need to know if you have three cows and produce a can of milk a day Your family is consuming a third of that uh, itself. So with dairy, you have two things. You create income and better nutrition for your own family. And it's it's very low salaries in developing countries. The model of two, three cows is is a fantastic value creation model. Brings millions of people out of poverty. So dairy is basically a fantastic story
0: reducing poverty in the world. It is, it certainly is, and, and, and I guess, you know, when you talk about, you know, some of those countries like India, as an example, you know, you talked about them, um, you know, and just how much doesn't go through a formal processor, like, it actually is amazing just to know how much, you know, here, where it all goes to a processing plant or through some type of processing, globally, that's not the case. No, it's about uh, only a f- uh, little bit more than
2: half of the world's milk goes to formal processor. And the rest is either consumed on the farm, small farms, or it's uh, traded informally uh, from a trader to a, directly to a consumer. And, you know, there's a lot to be done, and we talked here also about investment in processing. Can you imagine how much investment in processing is required to bring that milk from the current level to the next level?
0: Billions. Billions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I think we were all sitting there wondering uh, what our life would be like milking only three cows. <laughs> well, you know,
2: it, It's always, what is your opportunity or your competitive salary? Uh, we talk in these farms, which operate on two, three cows. If they make an income of 20 US dollars per hour, that is the wage level in these regions. And with three cows, you make an income of 20 US dollars per hour. In Canada, the salary is 100 times of that, right? That means the farm size needs to be 100, much bigger than three cows. And maybe there's a rule of thumb might be interesting for your people. If the salary level is around 20 cents per hour, you can make a nice living with two cows. If the salary is two US dollar per hour, Ukraine, Latin America, better go for 20 cows. And if you want to earn $20 per hour, what is the farm size? (laughs) 200 plus. And you know that when, when you look on farm size dynamic, there was a time where you could make even in Canada with 12 cows, 15 cows, a good, decent family income, but on the living standard of the sixties, if you want to earn now with dairy, a living standard of the 2023 farms need to grow. That's, that's the driver of growth of plants.
1: So I'm curious then in this light about the IFCN combined world milk price indicator that you spoke about. How did you put that together and what does that show us about the, the greater situation?
2: Well, farmers think in cent per kg of milk and processors think in dollars per ton of product. and. The, one of the structural problems in the dairy industry is that they don't understand each other because they don't have the right unit conversion. And what we did is we took a ton of SMP, skim milk powder, a ton of butter, and reconverted that to KG milk, calculated some basic processing costs, and then calculated what is the price a processor could pay to a farmer when he sells butter and powder at a certain price on the
0: world market. So then I I do want to get into kind of what the outlook looks like um, into the future. But we actually have a couple of bills to pay ourselves. So we're going to take a quick break and we are going to be back in just a minute. Our guest today is the CEO of the International Farm Comparison Network. It's Torsten Hemmert. We'll be right back after this.
1: As a chef, I like composting because it gives back to the earth. How do dairy farmers help protect the planet? On my farm, I compost manure. This helps reduce the carbon footprint of milk production. Plus, manure makes for richer soil, which can help grow crops. So it's like the circle of life. Yeah, we're working towards a more sustainable future. I'm in. Are you?
0: I'm in. That's dairy farming forward. Dairy farmers of Canada. Net zero by 2050.
1: And we're back with Torsten Sinema, CEO of the International Farm Comparison Network. Let's dig into the global economy market outlook, which is what you came to talk to us about in Ottawa, of course. Um, after three years of the pandemic and economic turmoil really, where is the dairy sector itself at in your view? Better
2: than before. Record prices, uh, farm economic situation in Europe and U.S. 2022 better than ever before consumer trust in good quality of protein has increased, dairy demand is strong, um, and dairy has proven to be very resilient. So for companies who have the knowledge of the global picture, we talked before about the right map, uh, uh, I think there uh, great opportunities for now and
0: for the future. Well, and that's, that, that's what struck me about your presentation is just the optimism for what is possible, you know, not just today, as you said, where, where it's been a really good year in a lot of countries, but what is possible in, you know, as early as 2030. Um, can you talk about, like, you know, for those that weren't here today, um, you know, you're talking growth of over 20%. Um, you know, where does that come from and who benefits?
2: Well, let, let me explore first the 20%, okay. right? We, I and expect uh, in a pro-dairy scenario that milk demand will grow 20% in the next 10 years, which is a, a, the volume of two times the current U.S. milk production. That is the demand growth we expect in the world once we have a decent economic prosperity and consumers globally remain their trust in dairy as a category and have the money to pay for dairy. So. Uh, where the, We are pretty sure that in this scenario, demand will be there. The question is now, where will the supply come from? It will not come more out of New Zealand. It will not come more out of Europe. Why? New Zealand has reached its boundaries environmentally. Uh, Australia doesn't have the water at the moment. Europe has a green deal. Uh, so the powerhouses of net export of milk are Reaching at the moment their limits. So the question everyone is asking saying where will this two times U.S. milk production be produced in the world in the next ten years and then with that one we look on geographical zones like um, temperate climate uh, Good land Dairy culture and then we came up with dairy countries of the future and one of them is U.S. One of them is parts of Canada, geographically very, very prospering regions for us. Then we go to Latin America and then we go also to Russia, uh, Eastern Europe, but politically that's at the moment not too likely. So if you look on the world where besides Europe and New Zealand additional milk can be produced, North America, US and Canada, South America and Eastern Europe. Maybe some slots in Africa, but
1: uh, uh, not too easy. So this morning you spoke about Canada being potentially a dairy country of the future. We haven't talked at all about supply management and those things in our country. Are you able to shed some further light on what you mean by Canada's potential participation in the future?
2: Well, when it comes to the geographical situation, and if you look on Wisconsin and Michigan as powerhouses of US net export and milk surplus, I'm just asking the question out of a geographical a climate the situation, why can Quebec and Ontario not do the same than Michigan and Wisconsin? And uh, now it comes to the current system. Canada has a very powerful, very reliable system to manage a complex commodity like milk mm-hmm. and now there are uh, opportunities in the world so how to find the match between the current system and the opportunities this is a net in the, the nut to crack and everything starts first with do you want it <laughs> and who wants it finds ways who doesn't mm-hmm. want something find reasons why it doesn't work
0: now Maybe in terms of you know what dairy categories they could be. You mentioned um, you know one of the examples of you know like Switzerland and Italy exporting you know volumes of you know high value cheese because that's what they're good at. Um, you know and, and other countries will have their specialty. Obviously, we can't load a boat of fluid milk. So, what are some of those components that you think will be there will be the biggest opportunities for globally to supply? Well,
2: I took this example, Switzerland and Italy, right? What do you think, how long did it took these countries to convince other countries that their cheese is better than their own? That's a a great
0: marketing (laughs) campaign right there. And how,
2: well, you know, when did it start? How long?
0: 100 years
2: ago. To create the same cheese image with the Canadian flag than with a Swiss flag. Mm And who will carry that investment? Yeah. You know, sometimes I, there is a tremendous opportunity of value-added dairy products. Uh, but let's be honest, without a competitive milk price, um, it, it, it is very difficult. And you know, if I'm, if I'm a cheese processor who has this nice marketing campaign of a value-added cheese, uh, if I can put that plant in Michigan, why shall I put it in Ontario? And I could explain the the world that the Ontario cheese is as good as a a Michigan than than, than Ontario. So think about also, we discussed that the investor of dairy processing who need to invest in brand and plants, etcetera etcetera, And without competitive milk, this step would be difficult. Not impossible, but difficult.
1: So I know we said we wouldn't keep you much longer, but just thinking on that particular point, as a producer sitting there, knowing what my costs are on the farm day to day when it comes to feed, fuel, fertilizer, all of the things that I'm dealing with, and uh, the price of my milk I know is barely, if even, covering my costs right now. And then I look at the span between your graph there showing other countries and the the heightened price of Canadian milk. What can we do about this um, to become more competitive in terms of pricing? In an environment mm-hmm. like this, where everything is very, very expensive.
2: Yeah. Now, at the moment, you, you pointed out the right paradox. Right? <laughs> you, what you pointed out is a paradoxon out of the perspective of a person who lived in a Canadian system all his life.
1: Yeah.
2: And some of them are happy, some of them are not happy in the system, right? Yeah. So what I recommend is uh, to start a thinking process outside the box without drawing immediate conclusion that you do it and be open in it and see what what value you can generate within, with a with a strategic step and what you will lose and then you know you have smart enough people uh, in India yeah, and I said of course we can help in that from an outside perspective but it, it's this thinking uh, remove the boundary of thinking uh, there is an opportunity. We have a great opportunity that uh, Canada is in a powerhouse of agricultural products. And
0: that starts first in the brain. So then last subject, um, for instance is sustainability because you did talk a lot about it and you know i i was quite happy to see you talked about four pillars of sustainability um being social economic environmental and you added in animal welfare as kind of a fourth pillar and no, to had, it
2: added in the holy cow as a stakeholder
0: that's as a stakeholder and i like the way you put that in terms of in terms of what that is but but if we can kind of focus a little bit on, um, you know, that sustainability piece for a second, or the um, environmental sustainability piece. Um, you talked a little bit about, you know, where dairy fits in a world of, you know, increasing alternatives. Um, what is the future of those alternatives? And do we as, should we as dairy farmers continue to be concerned with growth in those categories?
2: I think we had such a great end <laughs> with the brain.
0: Uh, <laughs> this thing with another topic, which we can require another podcast. <laughs> well, and, it, and you could, and we've done the on sustain on, on all of these too, because it is such such a big um, you know talking point yes. as more and more of these products do come out, and as more and more investment is made in plant versus, um, you know, in in milk itself. So, you know, is it something we should be worried about? I mean, at the end of your presentation, you left me very optimistic, though, that the future is bright for our industry. The future is much brighter than
2: the story is told, and people perceive it, and how the battle is happening even in my home I fight for space in the fridge with my wife
0: for different
2: white liquids.
0: And then is it is it a case of, you know, for us that we just need to continue to talk about, you know, as, as you put it, you know, don't believe the rumors, you know, look at the benefits of dairy. Is, is that as easy as it is, we just need to keep talking about it? Well. I think dairy is pretty
2: much better in the argument and in the in the process than meat, right? Meat is under challenge. Dairy is under challenge, right? Um, and uh, dairy at the moment is more proactive. Is it proactive enough? No. And uh, the, the, you know, if you see the aggressiveness of people telling story, um, um, fighting against dairy. Um, I think that we can be smarter.
1: Well, Andrew and I are gonna get our strategic hats on with our peers and colleagues and uh, start doing some more of the thinking that you're talking about to make our industry the best it can be in Canada. So thank you for joining us today.
0: Pleasure. Thanks a lot. And that's it for this edition of the Canadian PodCow. A great episode, Sarah, uh, having Torsten here. We've got lots more coming from the annual policy conference here at Dairy Farmers of Canada. Of course, this episode wouldn't have been possible without our production team, Bruce Sargent and Carl Belanger, who were here on site at the Chateau Laurier Ottawa with us. And a big thanks to our sponsor, the Dairy Farmers of Canada. Thanks, Sarah, and thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll talk to you soon on another episode of the Canadian podcast.